But when I was a senior in high school, my dad and I took a rafting trip to Colorado. And we were going to do some four-plus rapids. And, um, but, but before they would put us on the big rapids, we had to spend a whole day on smaller rapids. Um, and they wanted us to be able to see if we could paddle the same direction, if our boat would go the same way. Um, because here's the reality. If you've ever gotten in a boat with a bunch of people you don't know and you're supposed to paddle, inevitably one person thinks, I'm going this way, and another person thinks, I'm going this way, and you end up paddling against each other. Right? And your boat can go different directions where you don't intend for it to go. You can end up spinning in circles. You can do all kinds of fun things and end up heading nowhere. But over the course of that day, that first day, we got used to rowing with each other. We got used to paddling together. We got used to listening to our guide and following his direction, his leadership, his commands. We actually realized he knew what he was talking about. When we had those moments where we thought, oh, I'm going to do this. And we realized that he was purposeful with what he told us to do. And in our lives, we have moments where, whether it's in our marriages or with family or other people or work or friends, we end up looking at their jobs and we end up looking in different directions saying, I'm going this way. And they say, I'm going this way. And then we get crossways because we're not on the same page. Well, this morning, we're going to look at some people who are not on the same page with God's purpose and what happens when we get crossways with God's purpose. When we start paddling our own direction instead of paddling the direction of the Lord, we'll look at what happens. So let's go back to the book of Habakkuk. We started in Habakkuk last week. If you don't have your words, there's a Bible in front of you in the pew. If you would grab one of those and uh, you can look at the table of contents, it'll show you where Habakkuk is. Last week we looked at Habakkuk 1. And the, the story starts with Habakkuk asking God a bunch of questions, saying, why are you allowing violence? Why are you allowing injustice among your people? These are your people, God. You're allowing them to do injustice to each other. Where are you? And God responds to Habakkuk and says, oh, don't worry, Habakkuk, I'm going to respond. I'm just going to do it in a way that you don't understand. I'm going to use the Chaldeans. I'm going to use the people who are brutal to bring about justice among my people. And Habakkuk says, wait a minute, what? The Chaldeans, they're more unjust than your people. They need justice as much as your people need justice. In fact, they need it more. So why are you going to use them? And then God responds to Habakkuk again and begins to draw him out. He begins to talk about living by faith and trusting the Lord in that process. And then we're going to pick up in verse 5, where the Lord is talking about the judgment that's coming upon the Chaldeans because of what they're going to do to God's people. So he's now talking about the Chaldeans, those people who have swept over or who will sweep over his people, who will bring justice to them. But he's going to talk about their ways and their brokenness and how his justice is going to come upon them. And we're going to see how this plays out. So let's jump in, starting in verse 5, and we'll see what happens. So furthermore, wine betrays the haughty man so that he does not stay at home. He enlarges his appetite like Sheol, and he is like death, never satisfied. He also gathers to himself all nations and collects to himself all peoples. Will not all of these take up a taunt song against him, even mockery and insinuations against him, and say, Woe to him who increases what is not his. For how long? And makes himself rich with loans. Will not your creditors rise up suddenly, and those who collect from you awaken? Indeed, you will become plunder for them, because you've looted many nations. All the remainder of the peoples will loot you, because of human bloodshed and violence done to the land, to the town, and all its inhabitants. 
So here's where the Lord starts. He starts with their injustice among the people. The, the Chaldeans are seeking to spread their territory. They're taking it out on everyone they come in contact with. And the Lord uses a picture of a creditor or someone who's in debt. If you've ever been in debt, you know sometimes people who are in debt will go further into debt for the purpose of trying to get out of that debt. Right? They think, okay, I'm going to take one more business gamble, so I'm going to borrow more money in hopes of hitting it rich so that then I can pay off all this debt. And then they sink deeper and deeper and deeper into the debt hole, and eventually the creditor comes in and says, you owe all that money, and it's not a good day. What the Lord just said is the day is coming when all the people who are remaining are going to rise up against you because of your injustices against them. Right? They've sought to maintain control by the strength of their own hand. Verse 11 of chapter 1 talks about the Lord is going to, was going to judge them because he said, then they will sweep through like the wind and pass on, but they will be held guilty, they whose strength is their God. They're finding their God is their strength, that what they can do is where they're finding their strength. So here the Lord is going to judge them for that because of their efforts in their own strength. But let's see what, how, how else he's going to judge them. Verse 9, Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to put his nest on high, to be delivered from the hand of calamity. You know what he just said? He just said, hey, you're, you've sought your own security. Because of your strength, you believe you can bring about your own safety. If you're just smart enough, if you're just in control enough, if you put your safe spot high enough, nobody can touch you. Right? They believe that they can control their own security, their own safety. And he talks a little bit more. Verse 10, you've devised a shameful thing for your house by cutting off many peoples. So you are sinning against yourself. Surely the stone will cry out from the wall and the rafter will answer it from the framework. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and founds a town with violence. So here again, their own strength. So the Lord sets the stage to say, hey, you're seeking your own strength. You're seeking to control your own destiny. You're seeking that, to believe that in your own strength, you can control your own security. Now, we may not be doing the things that the Chaldeans did. We're not wiping people out. But we sure often operate under the same mindset. If I just get more, things are going to get better. If I control things, which I believe, if I can put all the rules in place, protect my kids just right, I can create safety. Over and over, we try to do things that we believe are going to give us control, security, and even power. But the Lord's going to show what happens in that effort. Verse 13, is it not indeed from the Lord of hosts that peoples toil for fire and nations grow weary for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to you who make your neighbors drink, who mix in your venom even to make them drunk so as to look on their nakedness. You'll be filled with disgrace rather than honor. Now you yourself drink and expose your own nakedness. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter disgrace will come upon your glory. For the violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you and the devastation of its beasts by which you terrified them because of human bloodshed and violence done to the land, to the town and all its inhabitants. Here's what the Lord just said. He said, you have toiled, you've sought in your own strength, you've looked for your own purposes. And in the end, all your efforts, right? Verse 13, and nations grow weary for nothing. All your efforts, you know what the result's gonna be? 
The result is going to be me, God, getting glory to the ends of the earth and not you. You know what's going to happen to your glory? Verse 16, an utter disgrace will come upon your glory. Their glory and all their efforts is going to come to nothing. And God's glory through what he does in them is going to lead to his glory. Let me ask you a question. What's the purpose of this book? This Bible, what's the purpose of it? Is it God's love letters to you and me as people? That's not primarily its purpose. Although God does speak to his love for us. Is it primarily an instruction manual of how people operate best? It's not, although it does speak to how we were created to operate. This book, all the books that make up this one book of the Bible, guess what? They're not about you and me. They're about God's glory and God's story. We just have the opportunity to be threaded into it. See, here's the picture. The, if you want to look at Scripture, there's Scripture in your worship guide that you can go back and just begin. That just scratches the surface of being able to look at how God talks about His glory from beginning to end and not about your glory or my glory. Isaiah 43, 6 and 7, God says, My people whom I created for my glory. Isaiah 48, 9 through 11, God is talking about the patience with His wrath. And there, and, but he goes on to say, but I will not give my glory to another. Matthew 5, 16 says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, so whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. 1 Peter 4.11, so if I speak, let it be the, like the utterances of God. Or if I serve, let me serve in the strength of the Lord, so that God may get all the glory through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory forever and ever. Or Psalm 34.3, this is the verse Michelle and I have claimed for our marriage from before we were married. Come glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Because I was created for his glory. Michelle was created for his glory. So our marriage is to be about his glory. Over and over and over again, this word speaks to God's story and God's glory. Not about my story and my glory. Now, we can look at that and say, now, is that fair? Is it fair that God's about his glory and his story? Because reality is, if, if he's about his glory and his story, shouldn't I be able to be about my glory and my story? It's a fair question I think we all ask. But there's a faulty assumption when we ask that question. What we're, what we're really saying, if we believe if God can be about his glory, that I can be about my glory, what we're saying is I believe me and God start on the same plane. And I know for me and for you, I wasn't there when he created the world. I wasn't there when he breathed life into the first human being. I wasn't there when he began to work in the time of Moses. I'm not perfect justice. I'm not perfect love. I'm not perfect mercy. I'm not all present. I'm not all knowing. There's so many characteristics about God that make it so clear that I am not on the same plane as him, that if he wants to be about his glory, he starts from an entirely different place than I do because I am not perfect. 
But what we need to understand when we say, well, if God can be about his glory, then I should be able to be about my glory, is a fear that somehow if I'm about God's glory, he doesn't care about my joy or fulfillment or satisfaction. The reality is the greatest place we can find fulfillment and joy is in intentionally living for the glory of God. See, we can row for our own glory. We can paddle that direction for our own glory. Just like the people in this book of Habakkuk. They were paddling for their own glory as hard as they could paddle. And you know what God said? You paddle as hard as you want to. In the end, I'm going to get the glory from your paddling, whether, whether in rebellion or in your surrender, I am still going to get the glory. Let's look how far they went in seeking their glory in verse 18. What profit is the idol when its maker has carved it? Or an image, a teacher of falsehood? For its maker trusts in his own handiwork when he, fa- what he, when he fashions speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a piece of wood, Awake, to a mute stone, arise, and this is your teacher? Behold, it's overlaid with gold and silver, and there's no breath at all inside it. Look what the Lord just said. He said, hey, you are seeking your glory so much that you created gods that would allow you to keep the glory about your story. See, look, for its maker trusts in his own handiwork. If I can create the God, then I can control the God, and then the story can be about me. Because we like the story to be about us. Look, when I was a little kid playing basketball in the backyard, we had a court, and I was growing up in the days of the Bulls' dominance. All right? So whether it was Jordan or Pippen or Kerr, I'd be in that backyard, and I'm playing, and I'm one of those guys, and inevitably... It's game seven, we're down by one with four seconds left. Why? Because I want to be the hero of the story. Three, two, one, and I shoot. If it goes in, we cel- I celebrate. If I miss, you know what happens? That's it, foul. He got fouled. Send him to the free throw line. I go to that free throw line. Get ready, shoot the shot. If it goes in, if I miss, lane violation. (laughs) Guy got in the lane. Didn't matter that if the game was really over, both teams would be at their benches and nobody would be in the lane. It was my story. I get to tell it how I want to, right? If I shoot it again and miss it again, fans threw a cup in right as he was taking the shot. Shoot another one. I could get real creative because it was my story and by golly, I was going to be the hero. So I'd sit there until I'd shoot it and I'd make it. And then depending on if I wanted to play longer, uh, if I missed the next one, I might just say, hey, they go to overtime. And then I'd find a way to eventually win. Or if I make the first one and make the second one, we celebrate, we won the championship. I got to create the story the way I wanted to tell it. Isn't that what we want to do with our own lives? Let me create the story and tell it the way I want to tell it so that the story can be about me. We like a hero story. We like a rescuer story. We want the story to be about us. We want our lives to matter. We want our lives to be about something important. Social media is another way where we create the story. I mean, just look at it. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, whatever you're on. We tell the story the way we want to tell it. You and I both know the ways, different ways people post. I mean, you you can describe the ways people post very clearly, right? There's the inspirer. 
the person that's always got an inspirational quote, an inspirational verse, an inspirational video, right? They're always posting something like that. There's the life is beautiful person that they're just telling you the best parts of their life. And everything looks great. You're like, man, that's an incredible life. You've got the downer, the person who's always posting the negatives. You've got the newsy. If you want the news, go look at their feed because they're posting it every time. You've got the play-by-play. Well, they wake up at six and by seven in the morning, if you looked at their feed, you've seen 25 things, right? They got their first cup of coffee. First cup of coffee wasn't good. Second cup of coffee was better. They brushed their teeth. They learned a verse. They did, I mean, you knew everything they did over the next hour. You got the play-by-play. You've got Kid Central, the people who are posting everything about their kids, right? Their kids' pictures, their kids' videos, their kids' funny things they say. You've got Pet Central, the people who are same as Kid Central, just insert pet here, right? Same thing. You've got the traveler. They're always posting pictures and things about their travels, and you're going, do you even have a job? Because they're always traveling somewhere over and over. They're creating the stories the way they want. And you've even got the mocker, the one who doesn't post at all. They just mock everybody else's posts, right? But we create the story the way we want to tell it for our own purposes, because we want our story to matter. We don't want our story and our glory to come to utter disgrace. But at the same time, we want to be about something bigger than ourselves. So how does that work? Here, I want you to help me do something here. And all of you who are the mockers from social media, just keep your hands down and mock all of us. It'll be fine. Um, If you know the first and last name of your parents and the first and last names of all four of your grandparents, raise your hand. And keep it up. Keep it up for a second. Now, if you know first and last name of your parents, first and last name of your grandparents, first and last name of all eight of your great-grandparents, keep your hands up. A lot of hands went down. There's a few scattered here, but not very many, right? All right, you can put your hands down. You know what that shows us? The people, our story and our life is supposed to be impact the most, our family, that within three generations, your name's likely to be forgotten. Ouch. That's depressing. The people, my story is supposed to impact the most, the people I spend my effort investing in, the people I am driving towards to help them, within three generations, most likely I'm forgotten. We can strive like the people in Habakkuk were striving. Or we can be about the greatest story ever told that never runs into a wall. Right? That reality that God's story from the very beginning of time to the very end of time and beyond, his story has been told. It continues to be told. There's nothing that is going to stop his glory. He has provided a way through Jesus Christ for us to be threaded into his story by following him and paddling towards his glory. See, the reality is all of us in our sin are paddling away from his glory, and he would get great glory by allowing us to stay there, and in our rebellion, he would still get all the glory. But he has said, I want to provide a way for you to get to paddle with me because I love you and I want you to find great joy in going in my direction for my glory and being a part of my story. I am threading you in. You're not going to be the hero of the story, but don't worry about it. I got the hero part taken care of. And I want you to be a part of that story. We can be about our glory and our story. We can be about his glory and his story. 
See, the reality is that however hard I work for my glory and my story, there's going to come a day that that whole picture dies. My glory will die. Even if I'm the greatest person in, in history and it's around, my name's around for 250 years, eventually my name will be forgotten. And most likely it'll be much, much sooner than that. But God's glory and God's story, it's the only story in the world that has no possibility of ever being killed. Because I looked at, uh, his story has survived generation after generation after generation. People trying to stop it, people trying to crush it, and yet his story still thrives and he gets the glory. I read an article this week talking about how the spread of the church globally, what it really means when it says the spread of the church is talking about the spread of people believing in Christ globally. Operation World is an organization that seeks to study that, and they publish their results. You know, the, the country in the world that has the fastest growing church? It's Iran. A country where the government says, you can't follow Jesus, you can't speak the name of Jesus, you can't have a Bible, you can't follow him. It is not about him, it is about us. And yet in the midst of that, they've seen more people come to know Christ in the last 20 years than the people group has seen in the last 13 centuries. It's a place where the gospel is growing at the fastest rate. That should give us great comfort that no matter what is in front of us, no matter what a government says, no matter what anybody else says, we don't have to fret the glory of God. He's going to get it no matter what. And we get to be a part of it. You know, the second fastest growing church in the world? It's in Afghanistan. Another place where the gospel is oppressed. Part of the reason it's continuing to thrive there is because the Afghan language has some similarities to the Iranian language and Iranian believers are learning the Afghan language and going to Afghanistan to share the gospel because the glory of God is bigger than their story. But it doesn't mean that our story doesn't matter. Don't hear that this morning. See, your story, God has given you your story for a very intentional reason, a very intentional purpose. Your story is to be a bridge to God's story. For others to be able to see him through the story God's given you. Here's an example of that. In the, in the book of John, John the Baptist, he was baptizing lots of people. People were coming to him. He be, was pointing to one that was to come after him. And there's a point where Jesus comes to him and Jesus has him has John baptized him? It'd be a pretty incredible moment. And then after that, Jesus continued on his ministry. And in John chapter 3, there's a man, there's a person that comes to John and says, Hey, you remember that guy you told us about? He's over there, and lots of people are following him, and people are being baptized over there by him. Basically asking John, Hey, everybody's kind of left you. What are you going to do now? And instead of being concerned about his story, John was celebrating that fact that it was not about his story, it was about Jesus' story. You know, John 3.30 says, in John's response, he says, he must become greater, I must become less. So he was using his story to point people to the story of Jesus Christ. 
our story, someone looks at you and the suffering that you're enduring, and they say, I see grief, I see pain, I see sorrow, I see suffering, and yet in the midst of all that, there's a peace that I don't understand. Why is there peace in your life? Because I get to be about the greatest story there ever was and ever will be. Because of Jesus Christ, I've been threaded into his great story for his great glory. And he wants you to be a part of his story because he loved you so much. God loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you so that you could be threaded into his story with great purpose. And you don't have to continue paddling for your own glory for it only to end in ruin. You can paddle for his glory and surrender and find your great joy and fulfillment. Our story is to be a bridge to his story. See, God is going to get the glory from the day, from our surrender to him or from our rebellion of him. And that is right and that is good. But each one of us have a choice to make. Is he going to get it from my surrender or is he going to get it from my rebellion? Either way, it's his story and not mine. See, that chapter 2 of Habakkuk ends with God speaking about who he is in contrast to the idols that were made. Those idols have no breath. Those idols don't speak. There's nothing of value that comes from the idols. But God compares himself to them, says, but, in verse 20, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. The verse literally translated means hush before the Lord all the earth. Anytime in scripture someone got a glimpse of God's glory, they end up on their face before him. Because his glory is so vast and so great and so big. It's the only thing worth telling the story about. Now it's hard for us because we want at some level a story to be about us. That's our sin nature. But God has provided a way for us to be about him and be fully and completely satisfied. So which way are you going to go? We're going to be like the people in Habakkuk too, who strive and strive and strive only to see our glory come to utter disgrace. Or we're going to be people who surrender our story to his so he gets great glory from our pursuit of him and we paddle that same direction with him in great joy fulfillment and satisfaction in a way that you can never possibly imagine. Here in a moment, we're going to spend some time responding to the Lord. And you may be in a place where you need to personally respond to who he is. You may have said, I have never surrendered my life to Christ, and so I want to know what that means to trust him and put my faith in him. I don't know what it means to be threaded into his story and to begin to paddle with him. There'll be pastors up here on the front to be able to talk with you if you want to know more about that. Or you may say, in order for me to surrender to, to paddling with the Lord for his glory, a step I need to take is to become a member of the church and the, then we'll be down here to talk with you as well. But, but I think one of the greatest ways we can respond this morning, apart from trusting him if you don't know him, is not to look at ourselves and say, personally, making the story about me and what do I need to do, but corporately, as a body of believers, celebrating the character and nature of who God is. 
So we're going to sing. You may need to stand with arms wide open and just praise him for his character of who he is. You may need to sit and be silent before him, recognizing the nature of him. But we want to spend our time in response, not focused on ourselves, but focused on him because he is worthy of every amount of glory we could ever possibly give. And that's a very, very good thing. We get to celebrate it.